Amen, amen. Good morning, Al Shroff. Good morning. Good morning, everybody on the camera. Good morning, good morning. Isn't that awesome? We get to worship in different places at the same time. That's pretty neat, pretty neat. Anyway, I'm Ethan Broom. I serve here as the middle school minister at Alice Drive Baptist Church. Uh, If you will, pray with me. We're going to jump right into the message. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to put our trust in you and nothing other than you. Help us to know that you will take care of us. In your name I pray. Amen. It was the early 1700s when John Leonard Dobear and David Nitchman first heard about the island. They were at church on an ordinary Sunday morning, and the pastor was speaking about a place in the West Indies where there had never been any gospel witness. He told of a man who lived on an island who was an atheist slave owner. This slave owner had about 3,000 slaves, all of whom would live and die there on the island without a chance to ever hear of Jesus. Deeply disturbed by what they had heard, these two men in their early 20s made the decision to go to this place to reach these slaves with the gospel. So they came up with a plan. Their plan, sell themselves into slavery so that they could be among these men. Sell themselves into slavery. These guys just, they weren't heading on a short-term mission trip. These men left to go live and suffer as slaves. They had no idea if they would ever come back to their families and friends. And in large part, their family and friends were all against their decision, but John and David still prepared to go. And so the story goes that these two young men arrived to the pier and they're telling their family and friends goodbye, knowing that they'll never see them again. The two men, as they load and get up on the ship, they go up to the front of it and as the ship and the shore, the gap in between widens, they link arms and one of them raises his hand and he yells out these final words. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. From a carpenter and a potter, normal, ordinary people, just like you in your seat, just like me up here, normal, ordinary, nothing special about them, carpenter and potter, go to church and meet Jesus and turn their trust from themselves to Jesus. We've been in this series called Then I Met Jesus. And as you saw up on the board earlier, it's like this crazy scribble of then and then I met and then Jesus and it's perfect round thing. And it's kind of like what the story is about. And that's kind of what it looks like in our own lives. We go from trusting in ourselves, which we're not very trustworthy deep down. and, And then we go to trusting Jesus who holds fast all his promises. And that's what becoming a true disciple of Jesus looks like from trusting in said name yourself to trusting in Jesus. You take a 180 and your object of trust changes just to follow Jesus. That's how you define a true disciple, to follow Jesus. That can be the simple way to put it, but I want to go into a little bit of detail. There's an author by the name of Jim Putman, and I read this book. haven't read many, but that's one of the ones I've read. And he puts it three ways. He says, when you meet Jesus, when you accept him into your life, three things change. Your head, your heart, and your hands. 
That's a simple version to remember. He said the head change is you go from self-ruled to Christ-ruled. You realize, you know in your mind, you come to this realization, this knowledge that you are no longer the leader, the Lord and master of your life. Jesus is. That's the head change. There's a change in authority. Jesus is now in charge. The heart change is deeply within ourselves, in our heart. When we follow Jesus and the Spirit begins to work in us, we start to pray, we start to read Scripture, we start to follow Him daily. And as we follow Him, guess what? We fall. And we get back up. And we continue to follow Him. And when we do, as we do, He continues to mend us and and make us more like Him. And He continues to work in in our hearts. That's the heart change. To give it to Him, deep down, He changes us daily. And then the third thing is hands. So when you become a Christ follower, your mission changes. Your mission changes. You now have a purpose. You now have a purpose in your life that when you live, as you live your life, you're on a mission. And what is that mission? It's the same as Jesus' mission. What does he have a heart for? Lost people. In the same way, when we become a Christ follower, a true disciple of Jesus, we now have a heart for lost people and we are on a mission. Our lives serve as a purpose and we are on a mission that Jesus puts us on. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke 10, living a life on that mission. It takes us right to Luke 10. And that's the context of Luke 10. So remember, we're on a life as the hands of Jesus. We're on a life, living a life on a mission. Okay, a lot of life there. So Luke 10, context. What's happening in Luke chapter nine? Well, Jesus has got 12 homeboys he's pretty close with and he sends them out. He sends out 12 disciples in Luke 9 and he sends them out in these places and instructs them to go in these ways. Well, then in Luke 10, where we're gonna be at in verses one through 20, he is sending out the 72. So he had 12 he was super close with, 72 relatively close with. And so he appoints these 72 disciples and then he talks about this great need for evangelism. He talks about the lost people and he has a heart for the lost people and he goes, I'm sending you out amongst the lost people. There's a need for evangelism. But in this text, he offers instructions of how you go out, the instructions of how you go about reaching those lost people. But if you see through these instructions, there's a key idea. And I love this. There's a key idea in this passage. And that's when these 72 go, as Jesus is giving them these instructions to go into the towns and cities, they must trust that Jesus will take care of them. They must trust that Jesus will take care of them. In the same way, we can apply these instructions in our context with contemporary significance and we can trust in Jesus. So the main point, what I want to preach to us today, to you and me, is that we must trust Jesus will take care of us. Trust Jesus while we're living a life on that mission as his hands. So Luke 10, before we dive in, I want to let you know how I'm going to break it up. I'm going to break it up into five points, and we're not going to go verse by verse. We're not going to read the whole thing through, because then you'll fall asleep. It is 11, though. Y'all had your coffee. I know it. You're alive and awake now. So, break it up. We're going to do some verses. Everybody understand? Good. All right. So, verse 1 and 2, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
So point number one, trust Jesus will take care of you when you pray. Point number one, trust Jesus will take care of you when you pray. So what does this mean? Jesus is telling them, he's sending them out and he's going, he's, he's saying, therefore pray earnestly. He's telling them to pray, 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 pray. That what? That there will be laborers sent into his harvest. So this is kind of, this is kind of weird. This is kind of weird, right? He's asking them to pray for laborers, but yet they are the laborers going out into the harvest. Okay, when I was in college, I learned a lot of things, not many, but there's some things in here that's good. And this is one of the things that I remember. In college, there was this professor, preacher, can't remember who it was, but they were talking about prayer. And this, this idea, this statement about prayer, it really changed the way I think about prayer um, in, what, in my everyday activities. And so he said this, he said, prayer is not the missing ingredient. It is the mixing bowl. So prayer in the mixing bowl right here, it's not the missing ingredient that you throw in with evangelism. You throw in, you throw in, you throw in, you throw in. It's not something that we, it's just missing and we throw it in, right? It's the mixing bowl. What does that mean? That means that prayer saturates, it surrounds, it's within everything that we do and everything that we do as a Christian, as we're living a life on mission, prayer. We pray through it all and we trust that Jesus will take care of us when we pray. And so it brings up this other point I want to make. And yeah, I came up with this all by myself. It sounds good, but you might not understand it. So I'll explain it. Maybe your pres- middle school minister, by the way. Maybe your presentation is correct, but your posture is not. Maybe your presentation is correct, but your posture is not. What does that mean? That means that, hey, sometimes we don't know how to pray. You know, I ask middle schoolers to pray all the time. And I know even adults that don't want to pray in public. They don't know how to pray. Or maybe... They're just scared to pray and they want to say the right things. Maybe you are saying the right things. Maybe you're praying, like Jesus said, to pray earnestly that laborers are sent into the harvest. Is that a wrong prayer? No, that's a right prayer. But what if your heart's not in the right place? What if the presentation, the things that you're praying for, your prayers are the right things, but your response to it, if he calls you, might not be right? So is your posture correct? Are you gonna, if he sends, if he asks you to be a laborer into the harvest, Like he asked these disciples, will you do it? And that's the posture we need to have is that when we pray, we may be the answer to our own prayers. It's the same with us as it was for them, right? So point number one, trust Jesus will take care of you when you pray. Verses three and four. It says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Point number two, trust Jesus is going to take care of you when you go. Trust Jesus is going to take care of you when you go. Is our trust in ourselves or on the mission that Jesus sends us on? Is it in ourselves or is it on the mission that Jesus sends us on? Right, so um, I'm just a country boy from North Carolina and Grew up on Lake Wiley and I've killed some coyotes, seen some coyotes. So have you ever seen the picture of a wolf compared to a coyote? Have you ever seen that before? A wolf is like two times, three times, maybe even four times the size of a coyote. You know, you hear a coyote when you're in the deer stand, you don't want to get down. Well, what if you heard a wolf? I might stay up there. Bye, peace. I'm going to lose my job. Sabbatical, right? I'm staying in the stand if I hear a wolf, right? They're scary. And so we have to trust Jesus. These disciples have to trust Jesus to the point where he says, you're going out as lambs amongst the wolves. What does that mean? 
Does that mean we're gonna be defenseless? No, that means that we put our trust in him and trust that he will defend us. He is the great shepherd. And so what does that mean for us? That he will guard us in the midst of danger and give us everything that we need. He will be the good shepherd. We just have to trust in him when we go. So if, if you look in verse four, it says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. I know some translation, translations use different things right there, but uh, I don't see anybody in here in the Disciple 3000 outfit wearing the sandals and the knapsack and all that, right? Contemporary. But what's that mean for us today? What's the significance for us today? And what he's saying there is he's saying that don't worry about those things. Don't worry about the money bag, the knapsack, the sandals. No, focus and make the main thing about the gospel and spread the gospel message. Spread Jesus' name. The message of Christ must remain supreme in our lives. And so why are we worried about that? Why are we worried about those things? Do what it says. It says the message of Christ must remain supreme. Don't, meet, don't waste any time doing those things or worrying about those things. Go, go, go. Let Jesus' name be known. That's the significance for us today, me and you. So what does that mean for us? That means we should live a life by faith and be focused on the mission. Live a life by faith and continue to be focused on the mission. Again, he instructs them to take their knapsacks and materials, right? None of that. And they will be provided with that later on in these verses. You'll see that people will provide for them in the same way. What does that mean for us as a church? What that means uh, for us as a church is we cooperate together. Like everything we give, everything we do, all together as a church works for the one task and one mission. What are some examples of that? Well, that's why we give uh, our time and our resources and our efforts to the community. As a staff member of Alice Drive Baptist Church, what are some things we've been doing? We went to Crestwood, passed out Bibles. We went to Crestwood and fed the football team. Teachers, post-COVID, I can't imagine being a teacher right now, and they need our love and support. So what do we do? We take them some good old Piggly Wiggly chicken, and we love on them. We let them know that they're loved and what they do is a special calling. We can love people well. Why? Because of what you guys pray, what you guys give, whether that's your time, your money, your effort, your, your volunteers, everything that you do and we do together is our materials, is our supply. Now we can cooperate together on a task, on a mission to go and make disciples even more. Think about the ramps that we build for people who can't get out of their homes, right? We build them ramps, make it easy. The mission and the stuff that's going on at Alice Drive is wonderful and it's all because of you guys. But I don't want to take this lightly and just end with that. Trust Jesus is going to take care of you when you go. It says when. I made sure it said when. Trust Jesus when you go because you're going to go. As a Christian, you are called to be a goer. When you go from trusting yourself to trusting God, you're called to go somewhere. You know, I don't know where that is. I don't know if it's to your neighbor's house to watch the best team in the NFL, the Giants. I don't know. I don't know if it's you go there and you cook steaks together and you hang out and you tell them about Jesus. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know. It might be for some of you that, hey, go, going may look like going into your child's bedroom to say goodnight and asking how their day was and discipling them right then and there. Maybe it's on the way to school talking to your kids. I don't know where the going is, but when you're a Christian, you're called to go somewhere. You're called to be a goer. And so don't take that lightly. Remember the mission that he has put us on. We are his hands. We live by faith and continue to be focused. Verse five, it says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. 
but if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. That leads us to point number three. Trust and accept where Jesus puts you. Trust and accept where Jesus puts you. Listen, that's easier for me to stand up here and say, but when you're actually living through that moment of trust and where Jesus puts you, it's a little bit harder uh, when you're living in that situation rather than just being told to do that, right? So a little bit of context about me. I graduated from North Greenville University in December of 21. And the summer before I graduated, I spent some time in Colorado at this place called Wind River Ranch, right? You know, I'm like brothers with George Strait. Cody Johnson's my guy. We hang out, we call. No, just kidding. But I hung out on this ranch and legit, I hung out with famous people like Carrie Underwood, hung out with her. I'm on her Instagram. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I hung out with these cool, awesome people, right? I did. And I spent some time with professional, and I loved it. And I was like, Colorado's where I'm going to be. And then the, uh, we're going to call him the CEO, the director of the camp. He's like, it's a Christian family dude ranch. He's walking with me one day. We're walking through the aspen trees. You know, it's like, just like you thought of in a movie. It's wonderful. And he's like, I want you to accept a job here once you graduate and come work. I'm like, oh yeah, 100%, no doubter. I'm coming here. And then this guy named Matt Sprinkle calls me, weird dude. But he's like, hey, check this place out. Sumter, South Carolina. I'm like, Sumter, never heard, never heard of that place. But I'm praying and in my prayer, I'm like, all right, Lord, what ticket, what airline should I use to carry on my baggage to Colorado? Cause that's where I'm going. But yet Matt Springle calls in Sumter, South Carolina. And I begin to pray and I'm like, why Sumter? I don't, do y'all really think I want to be in Sumter? I mean, come on. <laughs> Half of you don't want to be here either. Cause you just Air Force, you done showed up. I know, <laughs> I know, believe me. Y'all don't want to be in Sumter either. Y'all don't want to. But you have to trust and accept where he calls you to be. And there's going to be fruit of that. What is the fruit for me? Uh, a recent one, just a month or two ago, I'm preaching on Wednesdays, right? Wednesdays in the studio was when we have youth and I'm preaching. I'm like, ain't nobody listening, right? Maybe three kids that are like, but the cool thing about middle scores is, is when you preach and you do bad, guess what they're going to say? They're going to say, you are awful, you, that was terrible. They'll be honest with you. And then when it's good, they'll be like, that was really good. And I like that about him. But anyway, there's this one, Noah Grossman. He's probably in here today. You in here, Noah? Praise God. Hey, Noah, you're in my sermon. So Noah Grossman comes up to me and it's a Wednesday night. And he's like, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. He came in there next step room on a Sunday and said, man, your message on a Wednesday night really spoke to me. And I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm sitting here thinking nobody's listening. That is a fruit of being here. And guess what? He got baptized at Lake Baptism. Praise God. It wasn't anything I did, but him through me and sending me here. And I had to trust and accept that Sumter is where I needed to be. And the same goes for you. I don't know where you're called to be, but when he calls you to go, if it's here, if it's at work, if it's into your kid's bedroom, I don't know where you're called to go. But when you go, trust and accept where he has called you to go. Some... some application points that we can make to this point here is when we trust and accept where Jesus puts us is to trust God and his provision more than what we desire to have. I obviously desire to be in Colorado riding horses and hanging out. 
That's awesome. I was drooling riding horses galloping. I mean, it was fun. But I had to trust God. I had to trust his provision more than what I desired to have. And when we get to those places, extend our blessing. Hang out and share in all good things and be content in what we have. In verse eight, it says, eat what is set before you. Don't be picky. Be content with what you have. It don't matter what you're wearing. It don't matter. Be content. It says, another point I wanna make is be flexible. What is set before you, it said. So it's what he sets before you. It's his provision. It's not what you want. So be flexible in that way and then be wise. When you get to a place when I, you obviously wouldn't see me up on stage right now wearing my Stetson, my Pearl Snap, and my cowboy hat. It just wouldn't look right. Y'all be like, who's this cowboy? Good looking cowboy, thanks to my mama. But who is this cowboy? I wouldn't do that, right? You gotta know your culture. You gotta know your place and you gotta go and be wise as you go into those areas, right? So be wise. We're Alice Drive, we are wise. All right. Verse number 13. It says, woe to you, Corozin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Verse 16, sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. We'll do it again. Drink of water for this one. The one who hears you, listen to this, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. What does this mean in this passage of scripture, right here in these couple verses? What he's saying is, is there's only two ways to live. There's two ways people can respond. In life, same for you and me, same for the disciples, same for the people they're going to preach to. You can either accept Jesus or reject him. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. That's why when you're a Christian, you are a goer. There's no in-between. Accept Jesus or reject him. Point number four, trust Jesus enough to tell. Trust Jesus enough to tell about him. Listen, uh, Jesus says little about method. He doesn't give a developed message to his disciples, right? Like, he, like I have my manuscript right here. He doesn't give that to them and say, this is exactly what you need to say. Every town and city, take it and run. All he asks them to do is to minister to the needs, reveal God's power, and share where it has come from. So many of us are intimidated to share Jesus because we feel like we don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. We don't know what to say. Even if we knew what to say, we're scared. Jesus sends the 72 and simply tells them to give of themselves and point to the presence of God. Listen, we make evangelism and going and sharing Jesus and the mission that we're called to live way more difficult than it needs to be. I'm the middle school minister. It ain't that difficult. You know what I tell them? Go tell them about Jesus. It's not difficult. I don't know why we get caught up in not knowing what to say, not knowing what to say. In fact, it's so easy. I got a, uh, a story to share for you that will explain how easy it can be. So when I first got to Sumter, you know, uh, I was looking for people my age. I was looking for friends my age. And, you know, Mandy, Matt, Joe Beth, they cool and all. I ain't going to tell you how old they are, but I'm a little bit younger. 
And I wanted some friends, right? I wanted some friends my age. And so I'm looking for friends my age, don't know where to go, don't know where to look. Um, and I go to a life group back here in the cabin, 8 p.m., Monday nights, college life group. So I go back there, and I hear this boy come in with a country voice. I'm like, this dude ain't no uh, country as a Prius. Like, he's legit. He's country. And so I get to talking to him. I realize he's an outdoorsman. Praise God, me too. Realize he's a Christ follower. Praise God, me too. We're, we're come, and, and I'm testing him out. I'm like, all right, you know, share with me your hunting spot. And he don't share his hunting spot. So I'm like, I like this guy. He knows what he's talking about. He's he's avid outdoorsman. This is my guy. So me and Bryce are best friends, right? Best friend in summer. So we're going, we're hanging out every day. We're catching stripers on the lake. You know, we're hunting turkeys. We're doing the thing. And we're hanging out all the time. Like we are boys. And then one day he calls me when we, when we first started hanging out. We, this is probably the fourth time hanging out. He calls me and he says, hey, you, you, I know you haven't been to Sparkleberry Swamp and you can get lost in there. So don't take your boat. Just hop in mine. We're going to ride the swamp with some buddies. And I'm like, sounds good. Like how many, are the berries good? Do they really sparkle? What's the deal? So we go. We go and we're riding through the swamp, right? And there's like eight boats and we're all following along each other and we're riding together. It's super fun. But I'm going to tell you, I thought it was going to be relaxing. We're weaving in and out of trees and wasp nests. I was holding on for life. I was like, this is not as fun as I thought it was going to be. Still ain't winning there alone. Um, but maybe one day I'll have the courage. But we all go to this one big area in Sparkleberry Swamp. Again, have no idea where it is, but it opens up a little bit and we all come together, all the boats, and we're talking, hanging out, talking. All of a sudden, nobody knows who I am, obviously. I'm the new guy, so they're asking questions left and right, left and right, left and right. And they get to the question, why are you a youth pastor? Well, previously to that question, they were asking about my life, so I told them my life story, kind of. And I said, you know, after 10th grade, I never went to the youth group again. I just didn't connect with the youth pastor, with the church, and so I went to this thing called Young Life. Um, but they were like, well, what makes you become, why'd you become a youth pastor if you didn't even go yourself? And in that moment, when that question was asked, I had a choice. I could choose to be his buddy, be cool, be popular, and say, man, I just thought it'd be cool to hang out with students and get paid money for it. That'd be nice. Go to football games, baseball games, get paid. No, that was one of my options. Or I could say, hey man, this is my calling and my testimony and my calling to ministry. This is what I was praying. This is how God answered. This is how he's been using me and share my faith in my story of why I became a youth pastor. And so in that moment, it was so hard to make the decision, but guess what I did? I, I took that next step. I took that step of faith and I shared my, my calling to ministry. It was good. Some of them listened, some of them didn't, but some of them were really engaged back. And all of a sudden we go to ride back through the swamp and we're not moving. I'm like, hold on. Did I say something wrong, Jesus? Like the boat broke down. And I turn around and something's got a hold of Bryce, tears in his eyes. And I'm like, you good? What's going on? And he's like, man, I've been praying constantly the last couple of months to be able to share the gospel, to be able to share my faith with these friends. And then you come along and you did just that. He said, I just realized that I thought it was me that had to share it, but you are the answer to my prayer. Man, and I'm an emotional guy. I had to look away real quick because I'm about to start crying. And so a couple weeks ago, he calls me. Somebody asked him, why are you a vet at UGA? And he goes, Man, I just thought it'd be cool to pursue being, being a vet. He called me and he, said, he was explaining that and he goes, I thought it was gonna be about the outdoors, but he said, man, I had a chance to share my faith and why I chose what to do and why I'm doing it. 
and I backed out. I got scared. I didn't know how to say it. And I'm all about inspiration. So I was like, all right, man, get back at it. Call him back, track him down, bike him down, do whatever you got to do. Tell him, tell him the truth. Tell him about your faith. Tell him about Jesus. And he's like, ah, and he was just disappointed. So I'm inspiring, inspiring, inspiring him. Hang up. About five days ago, six days ago, he calls me. He's so excited. I'm thinking, you know, he found this deer he shot. No, he's like, the wi- my Wi-Fi went out. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, so the Spectrum guy called and I've been talking to the Spectrum guy on the phone and he asked me why I became a vet. And you know what I said, Ethan? I'm like, that's what I'm talking about, right? And then he said, I, I, I didn't know how to start it. So I just went ahead and said, are you a Christian? And I was like, oh, okay. Not the best way to start it. Kind of awkward. I laughed about that. But the point is, is that he trusted Jesus enough to tell. He didn't know what to say. But he said, are you a Christian? It sparked this conversation. And the guy was like, I may lose my job for this phone call. But guess what? I know it was from God because I've been praying for this. Gosh, all he had to do was share. Why do we make it so complicated? Trust Jesus when you tell. Trust him. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw uh, Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Point number five. Rejoice because Jesus cares for you. Rejoice because Jesus cares for you. Rejoice in the Savior and not in yourself. It goes back to the very beginning when I made the point, we're not trusting in ourselves anymore. We're trusting in Jesus. It's that simple. But in this, in this passage, passage, the disciples are like, oh yeah, you know, I say something and they back down. I got the power. And he's like, no. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in the same way, it makes me think of this idea. My mom's here today. Praise God, I wouldn't be here without my mom. But my mom, if she gave me a gift, and I love that gift more than I love my mom, that would be insanity, right? It wouldn't be right. And so why are we loving the gifts that he's given us and the gifts and everything and all the resources? Why are we doing it on ourselves? And why are we loving ourselves? Love him, trust in him. Rejoice that he's cared for us, that he's given us these things to begin with, right? Rejoice and trust in him. When I was in Colorado, Carson Palmer, he was a quarterback for the Bengals, the Cardinals. His son was in my group that week. His name was Fletch, Fletch Palmer. And at the beginning of the week, I called him in a lie. I was like, oh gosh, it's going to be a week. And about the fifth, uh, I had this gospel message. I presented the gospel in like three days, and it was really cool. Um, But on the third day, that was the Jesus day. So first day is prove that God's real. Second day is prove that you're a sinner and that there's no escaping it. So really just kind of make you realize that you're a sinner and feel bad. And then the third day is, here's Jesus. He, he is the answer. And the third day, I was like, I don't want the same old, same old. I want something different. So I began to pray. I got on my knees 5.30 that morning. And the Lord gave me something else. So I took fishing line, this analogy, preached the gospel of these kids in Fletch Palmer. I'm, I'm basically telling kids that are rich and famous because of their parents that fame and power and money is not the answer to life. And so I would know all about that. But they didn't. They were, they were rich and famous. And so I'm like telling them, uh, I guarantee your parents would say Jesus loves you more. And that's why they were there. And so I knew they thought that. But I was just making them know that Jesus is the most important thing. It's not about fame and money and all that. And that's not going to satisfy in life. Fletch Palmer said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And so I'm an emotional guy. I prayed the sinner's prayer with him. I walk away and I'm crying. I mean, I can't hardly breathe. I'm crying so much. And one of my buddies from the staff comes up and he says, Ethan, you did it. And I'm like, 
you got it all wrong. I didn't do anything. And he's like, congratulating me. I'm like, I didn't do anything. It was Jesus through me. It's because of what he did for me and I can now share that. It had nothing to do with anything that I've done. It's all because of what he did. I was rejoicing in the fact that he died for us and our names are written in heaven. My name is written in heaven. And it's very similar to the story I was sharing at the beginning about the missionaries. See, when the island was approaching as they were on the ship and they were getting close to the island to their destination of where they were gonna sell themselves into slavery, they wrote in their book. But can you imagine the cries and the, and the, the agony that they can just hear it while on the boat? And in that moment, they become depressed. They become depressed. They're like, oh no, what was I thinking? And so they write this down about their feelings. They said, the strength of God is mighty in the weakness of his servants. The strength of God is mighty in the weakness of his servants. They were weak. They had nothing left. They were depressed. They were scared. But guess what? God is mighty. They trusted in God. And because they trusted in God so much so that when they presented the gospel to that island, when they went on there, thousands rejoiced and came to know Jesus. Thousands. But why? Because they trusted trust. And that's exactly what I'm asking of you today, to trust that God will take care of you when you go. Trust in Jesus. If you're a Christian in the room, I don't know, maybe you've been living your life and you've been convicted that you need to trust Jesus more and you're going, uh, uh, I, can, I can do it. I can do it on my own. Come back to him. You're going to fall and get back up and follow him and trust in him. Maybe that trust looks like you need to start praying. And it needs to be the mixing bowl of everything that you do. Maybe it looks like you need to go yourself. Maybe it looks like you should accept the fact that you're here in Sumter or you're wherever you're at. Maybe it's, hey, maybe I shouldn't be so scared to tell. It's not all that it's cracked up to be. Maybe I should just trust in him and share with somebody about Jesus. And it may go differently than you think. Trust in Jesus. Rejoice in him that you are saved. Trust and rejoice in him, Christians. And to the non-Christian in the room, I'm asking the same thing of you. Do you not see the sin in your own life? Do you not see it deep down? I mean, if you really look into your own life, sin may not bother you. You may go, oh, you know, you may push it aside and go, I can, I can continue sinning. But if you look deep down, you think about it just right now in your mind, you go, man, I really am wicked on the inside. And there's no way I can, you can get out of it. You know what that's called if you feel bad about your sin? It's called conviction. And it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. A gift from God to say, hey, you need me. And guess what we do? We ask for forgiveness and we trust in him and put our trust in him that he is the Lord and savior of our life and we give it all to him. And he will never, ever, ever forsake us or leave us. He holds fast to his promises. All we have to do is trust in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. Send your son to take our place. Lord, I pray that the lamb that was slain will receive the reward of his suffering. No matter where you send the people in this church today, that they go accept where you've sent them. And may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. In your name I pray, amen.